Stay tuned for the one skill that will make you a great leader. This is The Focus Group. They're all business, except when they're not. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Focus Group. Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. John T. Nash. We're here each week to deliver... The savvy side of nine to five. I've dug that one up, John. The old one. <laughs> We're all way, way back, back in time into, huh? into the art case because we've been yeah. around for fifteen years now. Years, yeah, still alive and kicking. Now that everybody owns a mic and is doing a podcast, we've been around. But I'm here. It's like postcards from the edge. So anyway, um, thanks for joining us. Thanks to our friends at Deep Discount. You can find all of our sponsors at focusgroupradio.com. While you're there, you'll find all of our media, which is housed there. You can download for free. So please follow us. And you'll also find our podcast there, which is our Tuesday podcast, TFG Unbuttoned, which is a little, little shorter version of uh, what we do. It allows us to be a little more, um, I don't know if we're, we're a little more uh, quick. It's quicker, John, 20 minutes in and out. Yeah, we we offer up some more opinion than we often do here too. So, yeah. so <laughs> I, I hate I'm smiling because you got follow as opposed to subscribe. Quite well, I know. <laughs> got to follow, and how it's you know. So I we was literally just listening to you say that because uh, Bob and I usually listen to the show in the car, um, and on Sunday we were listening to last week's focus group and. You were you were commenting about how you had been reprimanded by our producer Matt for asking people to subscribe, which implies it's going to cost you something. Cost you money. Yeah. Hey, um, I had uh, I, you know, I often say to people, into our listeners, I'll go on to Twitter for you. I'll go to the dumpster fire. I'll see if there's any gems worth pulling out. There usually isn't, but there is a guy named Michael Warburton. I mentioned him before. Michael who? Warburton. Warburton. Um, he is a British actor who posts a lot of great clips of famous scenes and outtakes and just fun little things about movies and stuff. Well, he posted something the other day, which I think you'll truly appreciate. And it was a, um, a throwback to the days when Johnny Carson used to do the great Karnak. Oh, God. Remember when he would those. come out with the yeah. turban on? Okay, so this bit here is quite famous. And this guy put this on Twitter. He said, for the only time in the show's 30-year history, Carson told Ed McMahon there was <laughs> going to be a line on the show that night which would, quote, put him away. The problem was it put the two of them away. And it's one of, it's from the great Karnak. So I'm going to play this little clip for you. It's very short. And then we'll... Uh, here we go. Sis Boomba. Sis Boomba. <laughs> Describe the sound made when a sheep explodes. <laughs> This boom ba <laughs> ba yeah. <laughs> if you were watching this, the two of them double over in laughter, and they do what you and I have done, and we talked about this on a, a couple of previous shows. Where if McMahon looks at Carson, right, and Carson's trying to keep a straight face, Carson can't do it. He, he breaks up. If Carson looks at McMahon, it's the exact same problem, and they go on for like two minutes. The audience screaming, they're laughing. So just for just for the hell of it, I went back and I found. I went online and you could find a lot of the great Karnak things. And so a couple of them still resonate today. Like here's one clean. So he hands him the envelope and he says, great Karnak. And, and Carson will say the answer before the question. So clean air, a virgin and a gas station open on Sunday. And the question is name three things you won't find in Los Angeles. 
I I wonder back back to the sheep one though. Did they ever say what made them laugh so hard? Like, was there an? There must have been an inside joke about a sheep. It was just it was just the riff on taking sis boom ba, you know, and 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 making that the the ba part, the, the sheep exploding. But it, it, Carson loved the line before he went on. He I guess he knew that that was going to be uh, one of the writers had done that, and he was hoping McMahon would just like lose it, but they both did. So so it's kind of here's like, another Karnak one for you. Boom. The answer, so he holds the envelope up to his turban and he says, an unmarried woman. And he rips it and blows into the envelope and pulls out the question. And the question is, what was Elizabeth Taylor between 3 and 5 p.m. on June 1st, 1952? (laughs) You know, we all know that she, it doesn't matter what decade you tell that joke and she was married quite quite often, the whole bit. And here's another one. so he hand, Ed McMahon hands Carson the envelope, puts it up to the turban. He says, "Blazing saddles." Then he rips the end, blows into it, and he says, uh, "What do they put on horses at the Preparation H Ranch?" It's <laughs> horrible. Yeah, I know. I mean, but you know, I think in the car, in the history of car, H Ranch, <laughs> Ranch. What was the, uh, the other one I found was uh, answer shake and bake. Describe a double feature with earthquake and the towering inferno. <laughs> So there, <laughs> that's all I have to offer up. And, and by the way of starting out the week, or if you're finishing the week, then and you're hearing the show, then by all means, enjoy I used to love the great Karnak, but I could, oh. would he be allowed to do that now? Because he came out with a big exaggerated turban mm-hmm, with the beads. Would he be allowed the... to do that now? Sure, sure. Because that was like fortune teller. That was like a magician thing, and he had a black cape on. Maybe they won't I don't allow think it, was... though, John. Yeah, <laughs> because you're appropriate. You you're appropriate. Isn't that what they call it? Appropriate cultural appropriation. Yeah. yeah. Well, what was what would he be appropriating? Gypsies or fortune tellers. <laughs> and that reminds me of when we were in Barcelona together. You're and, not allowed to say gypsy in Europe. And I'm walking around at the top of my because we had been told since before we even the plane before the plane took off from the tarmac in New York, we were told watch your wallets. There are gypsies everywhere. Yeah, be careful, the gypsies. So we're walking down the uh, that main thoroughfare in Barcelona, and I'm like, you know, everybody watch out, gypsies, gypsies. And then someone <laughs> takes me over, almost pulling like a parent would pull you by the ear, like, mm-hmm. get over here. <laughs> and our friend um, from Germany uh, says to us. Dirk. Dirk, who used to, Dirk Baumgarten, I think, who used to edit the Spartacus Guide. Yeah. I don't know if he's doing that. He's doing something different now. But Dirk says in a very quiet voice, he goes, you know, saying gypsy over here in Spain is like using the N-word in the U.S. <gasps> We're like, oh, my God. All right, well, sorry, everybody. If you're not a gypsy, sorry, we didn't mean to. <laughs> if you're not a gypsy, sorry, gypsies. <laughs> <laughs> Shut down the gypsy stuff real quick, right? Well, I was wondering because, you know, Cher is still singing Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. And there's lots of shows, but... <laughs> It might not show it in Europe, Gypsies though, right? Yeah, I guess not. I don't know. It's like you can't get peanut butter in Europe. I mean, peanut butter, root beer, birch beer, none of that's allowed in Europe. Because <laughs> of all the allergies? <laughs> they just don't have it. They don't have the flavors. Don't a friend of mine it. made a fortune selling peanut butter cookies in, in Spain, actually. And then she moved a factory to Latvia and uh, made a fortune. Her mother would send her, this was in college, she was a, uh, an ex, you know, an exchange one junior year abroad. And her mother would send her, she's from Ohio, send her peanut butter cookies. And people loved them. And she ended up doing a fa- little factory, made a fortune. She's still there. She's still in Europe selling peanut butter products. And here you and I have humble ambitions of selling ice cream sandwiches on the boardwalk nothing. in Rehoboth. Nothing. We got nothing. 
Not even a miniature golf course. I mean, not even that, right? We should have done this. There are a couple of things that we did miss that did pass us by. We've announced them before, but you know, maybe something else will come to us. My nose is itching. Maybe we'll get money. <laughs> but the Febreze thing, the, 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 the smell in the car was my idea at Subaru with the Outback. I wanted a pine-scented thing to come through. Because when I lived in Oregon, I used to get sprigs off the side of the road of eucalyptus and stuff it in the, the heater and, and air conditioning vents, and the whole car would smell great. That was my idea. Everybody thought I was crazy. And later on, we have trees. Later on, cardboard trees that hang from a rear view. Or no, people yeah. stuff those little Febreze liquid mm, things on little their clip-ons to yeah. make the car smell good. Where were we? Yeah, that was that was one of them. And the socks. You and I have been doing socks forever. And uh, you know, Bombas comes along as if it's some great idea. We had socks. We have good socks. They fit well. They're comfortable. <laughs> Made in the U.S. We could have done socks. <laughs> so we got to come up yeah. with something, Nash. Look, I'm working hard on that one because at this point, man, yeah. (laughs) Well, what caught your eye this week? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. Okay, well, Carson caught my eye for sure because if if you put me in throwback mode to one of my favorite comedians of all time who was just so gracious and cool, and and we know a lot about the backstory there. I love that. But what caught my eye this time around was this idea of what happens to the to all the ships that get decommissioned or sold? So um, this is an interesting one to me because it's the uh, basically during the pandemic, cruise lines suffered losses in the billions of dollars. I mean, massive losses. So once they 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 began suffering losses, they decided to trim their fleets back and and scrap and what they couldn't sell to another cruise line gets scrapped. And then you say to yourself. What happens to the ship? I mean, w- when you when you scrap a ship, what happens? Well, right. here we go. So the Carnival Cruise Lines sold the Costa, the Pullmentor, and a co- that, no, it's Carnival Costa and Pullmentor Cruise Lines both sent ships to be broken down to Turkey of all places. This mm-hmm. was a news to me. It takes thousands of workers to break down a single cruise ship. The process starts with the captain. Sailing the ship to its final resting place, courting with harbor masters, and one day when they get everything lined up, he literally drives the ship into the shoreline so that the bow goes right up on the um, on the shore, and they begin the process. First, they inspect the boat, and the crew figures out how to dismantle the vessel. Around 2,500 ship breakers work to remove valuable material from the ships, emptying them, out, emptying them out deck by deck, mostly by hand. So they have to go through all the cabins and take any furniture out that the cruise line didn't take, or they can take finishings like lighting fixtures and stuff like that. This guy in this shipbreaking yard in Turkey, Aras, said, I can easily say that cruise vessels are the hardest vessel type to dismantle because, you know, there are hundreds of rooms on board. Jeez. Workers then move on to dismantling things like the pools and gyms, as well as stripping the walls, windows, and floors and handrails. It's a very dangerous job, takes quite a long time, but the interesting thing about it is millions of dollars can be made by dismantling the cruise ship because apparently... They once they strip out all the other stuff and they save what they can of wiring or plumbing or lighting, they go for the metal. And often one of these cruise ships can bring in four to five million in profits alone. So that's above and beyond what it costs them to strip and break down the ship wow. in metal and getting it. So this guy says you can make good money because there are lots of things on board for secondhand sales, and that would be lighting and stuff like that. So that's that's, so the, the the pictures that accompanied the piece were kind of like, wow, very dystopic, because you'd see half ships grounded, and you recognize the the red funnels of the Carnival Cruise Line or something. Um, 
And it just seems like that I, I, I've never thought of the disassembling as a whole industry all by itself, as opposed to putting it together. Yeah, there's a whole channel on YouTube and probably other no, places too. Really? Oh yeah, where they show them driving them onto the shore. So yeah. you knew what I. <laughs> yeah, but and everybody always thinks it's a mistake. Oh, look at this dumb captain or whatever. But this is ex exactly what it is. People always correct them on YouTube. But you show these ships coming in, and the workers are all waiting there, and then they run as the water comes in. But they, the ships are going a good rate of speed to beach them, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to and, get them way uh, up there. Right, and they go through other, you know, in between other ships. And uh, then I guess that must be what they do is uh, take them apart. I had no idea they disassembled them like that. I thought it was just a scrapyard. And you kind Top of went, to bottom. Yeah. They take out wow. the finishings, anything that could be sold secondhand, and then, of course, the metal. They probably have to drain thoroughly drain the fuel tanks and the engines for, of all that diesel, uh, marine diesel stuff, whatever they use. Yeah. Pretty big industry. Anyway, that just kind of, it's it's truly caught my eye because I was reading and I was like, hmm, this is interesting. So there you go. One of those things, yeah, <laughs> one of those things you don't pay attention to that happens every day. The um, My story had come to us from a listener in Chicago, Mary Ann, and uh, she jokingly said she would have to pay an awful lot of money if this <laughs> happened to her. We had, we had talked about these stories before, but there was a, this latest one is a woman in Canada. So the headline is, a woman is ordered to repay $2,000 after her employer used software to track her time. So there's a tracking software called TimeCamp, and it can monitor what files you're, you're uh, accessing, how long you're on a particular file, um, if you printed out items on your, your company, um, given computer at home. And, uh, so it measures, uh, not only your work activities, but also all other non-work activities, such as if you went off to a streaming service on your laptop, or you're looking at other things, shopping or whatever you're doing. So this woman, um, her name is Carly Bessie. She was fired uh, for being unproductive at her job. And um, they're now going after her the, in the Canadian. She's been sued by the civil tribunal, which is part of the uh, Canadian judicial system. And they ruled uh, in the company's favor. Uh, this is a, um, it's called Reach CPA, CPA firm. And she has to pay back 50 hours of work, which equates to $2,756 Canadian, which is about $3 American. And... Um, so she, uh, let's see. So that was the, the issue. She says that she spent a lot of time, though, doing non-computer work and working on documents that had already been printed in longhand and long form, so it wasn't fair that uh, she said the software could not differentiate if she actually had worked on items that had been printed. And they said, well, you didn't print them at home because we also track your printer. And um, so we know you didn't. Oh my God, because they gave her the printer, right? Didn't print it at home, but they said she was doing, she was on things such as streaming Disney Plus. Um, and said, but at, ultimately, with this, this, even though the software helps uh, track, it also says that uh, at the end of the day, the final distinction or the final um, um, decision is within the company as to whether this was considered a non work activity. But. Uh, yeah, so they, this tracking software, which I find odd about the whole thing, is she knew that but they had these tracked. tracking devices. So if you yeah. know that, why would you have done... Because she finally admitted that she had done, done some other things. Two things come to my mind about this is, A, if you don't trust your employees that much to get their work done, then you've got a bigger cultural issue in your organization. Agreed. And the other one is... Um, if she knew she was being tracked, why didn't she just use one of her personal devices? 
if she really wanted oh, to, to do completely, something. Completely. Yeah. So, you know, I knew when I went to, um, when I, I did that gig for that uh, food company, mm-hmm. they would every Monday, the IT person would give to the HR person and they would announce it over the intercom of who, who for the week had the, um, the funniest and most non-work-related searches and what they were doing. And so somebody's watching basketball games. Somebody had ordered an iron or something. And so my first day being there and hearing that, I thought, hmm, I never did one thing <laughs> on the company computer. I, I had my That's own true. cell phone and I had my own That's iPad true. and I never used it because I thought that is just such an invasion of privacy. Plus, to, and then humili- so the whole deal was to humiliate the employees so that they would stop doing it. But um, I don't know. I, I, I just think this is. If you have enough time to do this, I don't know. Did the well, woman, it was the woman getting her work done. If she well, was, I don't know. You know yeah, she you might have worked late question. at night, right? She might, like you and mm-hmm. I have often said that. I get up early in the morning. I'm doing stuff at 5.30. You're doing stuff at midnight. Yeah. Technically, those aren't work hours. No. But that's when we do our work. I do work in the mornings. You do a lot late, late night. So um, I don't know. I just find you, this. You totally brought up something I was going to ask about, which is, well, or just comment on, which is if she was sitting at her desk in right. an office, would they be tracking her? I guess so. Is this so. only because she was remote? I guess so. You know, she is remote. But uh, it didn't say, because I wondered about that. It says here that a growing number of companies are using this technology to monitor its staff while they work from home. Employers see it as a tool to ensure that workers aren't slacking off and improve efficiency. Workers and privacy advocates, however, say this kind of tracking is intrusive and worry that it will normalize workplace surveillance, um, even when people return to the office. So they said that that's the fear, is that when people return, they're still going to do this tracking. But they used to track. When I was at Subaru, they tracked. um, Tim, here's something else you just said that I'm fascinated by. When people return, we are now in into 2023 right i know that i know that it's not in the rearview mirror people are still getting sick however don't you think we we should like like it's like disney when bob Iger said you got to be here four days a week at least i mean the hammer is going to drop at some point right yeah well we had an employee at subaru which i was very close with the hr and, and some of the attorneys and one of the very senior executives was accessing porn quite a bit on his computer <laughs> At work and late hours. So, you know, we were all laughing again. But then I, where they would stop is I said, what kind? Yeah, they wouldn't <laughs> tell you. I want, no, they wouldn't tell me that. That's what I wanted to know. What kind of porn was he accessing? Because that would, you know, the, the, and when the attorney's like, you know, that's a, that's a, I, I want to know too. And they wouldn't, HR would not tell her either. But, because um, we were dying to find out. I'm just, this, this tracking thing fascinates me. And I agree with you. If you know you're being tracked, if you have an iPad or a yeah. phone, do it on the phone. Yeah. Why, if you knew you were being tracked, why put yourself, why, why expose yourself? The, so what our listener told us, she has some sort of, sort of little device. You probably know about this because you're a tech guy. That it makes her mouse move or something. Yep. So it looks like she's doing stuff. Is that it, true? It, oh, yeah. They, they have all ways of circumventing this where if you're away from your computer, it, it literally will make it appear that you're moving across the screen and opening and closing documents. and Really? Doing and yeah. they so, but I wonder if the would this time camp detect that that's a that's an app that's doing that? I wonder. Like, I don't know, know what, um, what you're basically up? the thought process behind it is it keeps the computer from going to sleep, 
So you're it, it, it's it's making the screen active and the system active by doing these little things. So it's a it appears that you're working on something. I think to the right. time tracking software. Huh. But I go back to what you originally said. If you don't trust your employees enough, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Is she getting the? Is she doing a good job? Is she getting the work done? Then who cares if she orders a a scarf? <laughs> well, what I thought <laughs> was interesting was only fifty hours that that they said she misrepresented, which I, you know I thought at the end of the day. I don't know if that was over a quarter. How many did they give it? It didn't uh, say time. over how long. Oh, okay. It didn't say over how long, but I thought again. But it didn't say whether she was not doing her work, and that, that's the that's the part yeah. that bothers me about it. Is to, was she getting her work done? So you know, a lot of HR people used to talk about the smoking areas that companies had. Oh people, yes, yeah. And and you would get complaints about well, my coworker goes out once an hour for fifteen minutes to smoke a cigarette, and you know what does that mean? And there's it no means over eight hours. Right. They didn't work two hours. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So that, yeah. they're out smoking. Yeah. So. All right, folks. Uh, that's caught your eye. We're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, we have business birthday and a shop talk for you. So stay with us and we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now, back to the focus group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the focus group. Tim Bennett here with my good friend and co host, Mr. John T. Nash. We are the focus group. Find all about us at focusgroupradio.com, including our podcast, which is TFG Unbuttoned. You'll also find all of our shows there for easy download. Please follow along and listen to us wherever you listen to all of your other podcasts. Put us in your loop. Is that it's it? In Put in your loop or your line or your queue. So I had one of my neighbors had talked to me the other day that she had, uh, my neighbor Joyce across the street had, she'd asked me a question about something. She goes, I don't know what show it was, but you mentioned something or something. And I just, you and I, <laughs> that happens to you and I a lot. I was like, I, you probably remember better than me, but I said, I don't know what show that was. That's the Dick Cavett problem. Yeah. Remember we interviewed Dick Cavett and he would say that he would do a show, go home to his apartment. The doorman would say, Mr. Cavett, how's, how's, who'd you have on the show tonight? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you who I have on tomorrow. <laughs> you moved on. I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember. Totally like. Yeah. So it's amazing, which is, you know, amazing because we've been doing these business birthdays for 15 years now. And uh, we try to do one that we haven't done before. And I think we found another one. Oh, Mr. you have a good one here. So, yeah. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings. But the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. So born today, February 1st in 1956, happy 67th, I believe, if I did my math right, is Joy Mangano. I think mm-hmm. that's how you'd say that, right? Yep. And uh, she's a famous inventor and an entrepreneur in the U.S. She's known um, most for the self-ringing miracle mop, which she invented. And uh, I did not know her, but she's well-known, apparently, on the Home Shopping Network and QVC. Have you ever, do you know of her? I sure do. You do? And we also have one of those mops. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Well, well you'll, have Bob, to, you'll have to tell me about it because I'm not familiar with it. I've, I, there's a picture of it if you're watching. There's a small picture of it. But is it just one of those? Well, you explain it because I. It's I, a mop. It's a mop bucket combination. And okay. there is a handle built in. There's a sliding portion of the handle built into the mop. And what right. it does is as you push it down, it twirls the mop head. And and really wrings out the water quite nicely, actually, much better than other mechanisms. But that's where she—that's her claim to fame. Is it a good mop? mop in the bucket? Yeah. 
Because there's similar, I guess, ripoffs of that, which we have that yep. I've thrown away because they're not that good. And so I, I guess we need to get the Miracle Mom. But um, she was, uh, or she, she was the president of Ingenious Designs, LLC, and she appeared regularly, as I said, on uh, the Home Shopping Network until her departure in 2018. She founded recently, she's uh, currently the CEO of Clean Boss, which is a company that uh, sells cleaning products. And uh, there was a movie done about her I'd like to watch called Inventing Joy from her autobiography yeah. <laughs> called Joy with Jennifer Lawrence, who won a Golden uh -huh. Globe for Best Actress. Did you watch it? Have you seen the movie? I remember when the movie came out. See, I, I'm, I'm laughing and doing all this because Bob worked for a company many years ago that had the license to produce Joy Mangano things. <laughs> you know, like, so they would rebrand, like, dish towels. Oh, and gosh, that's towels right. Yeah. And, yeah. So it was the Joy Mangano line. And she used to come visit the company now and then. And I'm not sure that, uh, I don't, he, he didn't, I don't think he was a fan. But anyway. <laughs> well, she, so she was born in uh, Brooklyn, grew up in Huntington, uh, New York, which I guess is Long Island, right? Yeah. And um, as a teenager, her first invention was she had invented a fluorescent flea collar, which mm. uh, the following year, Hearts, um, you know, the company uh, designed and and sold a similar product and design. She has a degree from Pace University in uh, business administration. She had a number of jobs. She was a waitress. Uh, she worked at an airline as a reservations manager. She had three children. She was divorced, and but she always had this, you know, skill or this um, skill. I guess skill is the right word. I don't know. Probably not. But anyway, she she liked to tinker and invent things, and uh, she's she has over seventy one patent families, meaning that things that she was part of as patents and her own 126 distinct patents. So she's got uh, quite a few patents in her, in her portfolio. She said, I'm just like everybody else. I'm a mom. Uh, I've got children. I have a house to clean and things to organize. And so everything that she seems to invent uh, comes around either household work or cleaning and organizing. So That's she, correct. You know, right. So she did this self-ringing mop that you mentioned. They said initially when she made it, she, she had um, built it in her father's auto body shop and only had a thousand units. And um, it was, it, she went on QVC. She did a kind of a barter deal with them on consignment and only sold a thousand mops. Did not do very well. Um, but they were selling it themselves with a different host. And they said it wasn't until she came on herself and her enthusiasm and her excitement about the product sold 18,000 mops in a half hour. So they went from a thousand to 18,000. And uh, she ended up selling the, uh, that company that did the mop to the people who run Home Shopping Network. And they currently, they said uh, from the year 2000 on, they sell about $10 million worth of the Miracle Mop a year. Jeez. She also, uh, Oprah Winfrey liked one of her other products called the Huggable Hangers. They were a velvet flocked hanger, no slip hanger with a thin profile. Oprah loved those, one of her favorite items. In 2010, it was the best selling item on the Home Shopping Network with over $1 billion sold. <laughs> Think about that. She was like the queen of QVC, right? Yep, yep. She For sold. Shopping, yeah. yep, both, oh, both. HSN. Both places, yeah. Um, Forever Fragrant was another uh, item she would sell. It was a line of, you know, like those smelly sticks and wickless candles mm -hmm. and stuff, yep. scent, scent things. Um, she broke a record in January 31st, 2010. She sold 180,000 units of one day of this line of, uh, of fragrant items. She had a, some luggage, Willy luggage that she did well with. Uh, performance platform shoes, shoes with a rubber heel that gave you extra height, so it made women appear taller. She <laughs> sold thirty thousand pairs of shoes in uh, in, in less than less than three hours. 
She has Comfort and Joy textiles currently, which is some bedding. Shade readers. Um, she said a line of reading glasses sold in sets of three, so they're the same thing. You can just keep lying around the house. How tough was not that? A, not a bad idea. Right? Right, sold 13 million pairs. So they said soon after she began appearing on QVC in 92, she started appearing on HSN, as you mentioned. And uh, she's considered the network's most successful purveyor with annual sales of more than 150 million. She averages, whenever she comes on, about a million an hour when she comes wow. on to sell something. Wow. Unbelievable. Bob should have liked her. And um, No, he liked her. I don't think he liked some <laughs> the, of the representatives the that oh. would tail along. Or oh, like that. yeah, the handlers. Yeah. So they said that she's, uh, her success was due, the, uh, the Home Shopping Network said that uh, they felt her success was due to her ability to convey her passion and excitement and pride. And uh, when she would describe every detail of her products to the viewers. And um, yeah, so she's, uh, happy birthday, Joy Mangano. She uh, lives currently in St. James, New York. I'm guessing, is that Westchester County? I don't know. Where would St. James It's a be? great question, actually. I don't even know where that is. I should, I'll have to look that yeah, up. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of St. James. I was, I was curious about, uh, about where that was. And she also, um, in 2010, she was included in the list of the 10 most creative women in business. So. It's a it's a hamlet in Suffolk County on Long Island. Oh, it's Long Island. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So she she's from Long Island originally, right? right? Yeah, we're born okay, in Brooklyn so she, and then Huntington. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so she didn't go too far, but yeah. the hey, St. James is great. And again, she took something. It was the um, that like that Jay Samet, the author we had yeah. on, who said, you know, you look at something in your everyday life. Is it solving a problem? And if you keep thinking it's coming up and that's the problem you want to solve, that's the thing you want to create and an answer for, a solution for. Well, I have an item. I'm not going to tell you I'm here. <laughs> this but is going to be good. But okay. I know if I tell you the item, you're going to, sh- you're going to poo-poo it. But I, I have an item that, I, that I, I, I think could be a good kitchen gadget. Hmm. So I'll have to tell you off air. Maybe we can, maybe we can, you know, you have to run it by that. Bob. Okay, yeah, Bob. you don't want to run it no. by him. Because remember, we still Bob, have Bob, the Bob. idea for this. To recreate what he used to do, but but we could have gone on and sold those on QVC. We still can, you know. He insisted on things being like cardboard, handmade, this and that. And you know the whole. You and I can go on his little shelf on the elf. We could dress up a little outfits. The yeah. elf on the shelf. We can go and sell, <laughs> and sell the candelier. <laughs> right after the Beekman boys. <laughs> hey, listen. What did they just sell that for? How many hundreds of millions? They they're doing well. Million. They did well. Yeah. Hey, but you know what? Y- if you talk to either of them in the early days of that Woo! business, it was, it was all hands business. on deck, twenty four seven. Yeah, they they earned it. Yeah, well, they worked hard. They worked hard. The uh, so yeah, happy birthday, Joy Mangano. She's uh, she's our business birthday today. The uh, our shop talk, Mister Nash. I found this in Fast Company in the very simple article, but it said good leaders are good listeners. Here's how to be one of them. So they talked about employing these three skills to become a good leader that are, that are really around listening to, um, to employees or as a leader. They said, uh, in a nutshell, that as you rise up in the ranks in your career and um, you don't know a lot of times what's going on the day-to-day, so when you have other managers or people come in to talk to you about things, you really need to let them talk and listen because they know what's going on on a, on a more daily basis versus you just kind of pontificating. I had, I laughed because this is, these three things will go over. We're certainly true about the better uh, managers or better bosses than I had. The very last one I had, he caught me calling him Einstein once um, because he, he, you know, seemed to know everything. And, 
did you call me Einstein? <laughs> I said, I did. There's worse things, you know. But um, <laughs> you know something, you're right. World famous scientist who, who changed, yeah. Because he because he he's he never he had the, the solution and no idea about anything, but could tell you about everything, you know. So that so that was uh, and not a good leader, which um, which is what this article is about. So what was the first thing they said to do? Uh, so Tim set this up brilliantly, um, and the the way they preamble this in the article, they talk about how many employees are sort of frontline; they're doing certain level work. And they don't necessarily have the big picture all the time, which I was kind of okay. But their first thing was in in as you move up an organizational chain and as you acquire more management abilities and responsibilities, their first recommendation is let other people talk. You need you need to hear the perspectives of other people in order to get a broader view of what is going on in your organization than just what you are able to see directly in front of you. Often the people with the vantage that differs most from your own are people whose jobs are much lower level than what you're up to it's i guess it would be something uh, similar to senior management at target at corporate headquarters versus associate at target who's on the floor in one of the departments seeing what's actually happening with inventory who's buying what etc but more broadly let other people talk is a huge thing that i've had to learn um not in a bad way but my my as a as someone like a creative director my first instinct is to listen and then i start hearing things and i want to offer up solutions immediately um far wiser to sit back and let people have complete thoughts let them talk and then you wade in and and uh and offer opinions or thoughts yeah the um the second one is once once you get the uh the download or the information from the from the people and and you're the leader is to ask follow-up questions because they said often people are going to tell you what they think you want to hear. Yeah. And so you might not get all of the stories. So that means that let, let them explain what maybe the situation is or the issue is, and then ask some follow-up questions that will get at the root of saying, um, is that everything or have we thought everything through? In other words, get the facts. I had a, a great example of this. I had somebody come in and, you know, place is burning down. We need to do this. We need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I started asking some probing questions and because it just didn't like part of part of the story was there. And I said, well, where did you, where did you get all this from? He said, well, somebody wrote a letter to the editor and I was reading it in a letter to the editor in one of the, in one of the trade publications. I said, well, that's hardly research. That's hardly factual. It's somebody's opinion. And, um, but so it, it's, it's really digging into to get the specifics to make sure that um, you're getting the full story, not just the story somebody wants you to hear or the story that someone wants to do in order to get, uh, get done what they want to get done versus what's best for the organization. Yeah, completely true. Yeah. And um, so the last of these three things here is uh, repeat back what you hear. It isn't enough just to hear other people talk. When someone gives you a good explanation, you may come to believe you understand it as well. Uh, research calls this the illusion of explanatory depth, uh, though you may believe you understand it, but you may not actually be able to explain it yourself. So the idea here is you hear it, you think you understand it, and you repeat it back, which may require some back and forth for someone to say, yeah, you got it, except this, this, and this kind of thing, which I think is a really good, a good idea as well. Yeah, I thought this was a, a good article at a fast company. The one thing I did say, I would have added one thing. And um, for me that I've noticed over the years, and that is to stay on topic. Yes. And so while the actual discussion is going, and obviously you'll have 
greetings and back end, end of discussion or whatever, you'll talk about other things. But while you're discussing um, what may be an issue or how to try to solve a problem internally is to just stay on topic, get that all done, and then you can have the other sort of extemporaneous <laughs> chatter. We've got a Tim Bennett example of that. Um, we were hired to do a, one of Subaru's rare in the early days, direct mail campaigns. You guys did not do a lot of direct mail. And we had the creative sort of figured out and we had to have a meeting down at Subaru corporate headquarters and Tim was leading the meeting. And there were a couple of stakeholders at the table, agency, uh, some other partners were there. But the meeting was ostensibly about the mailing list of who is going to end up getting these direct mailers. And it, it quickly, Tim listened and just quietly listened. Everybody around the table, let's add this, let's add that, let's do this, let's do that. And finally, Tim holds up his hand. And what did you say about skiing lesbian nuns? And so if we can find a lesbian skier in a ranch, I said, we'll be ended up paying her to buy the car. Yeah. <laughs> With one joke, he completely wiped the floor of all these sort of nonsense ideas about who to be talking to. And then, and so that goes to your thing of keep it on topic. I mean, you listened and then you brought it back to topic saying, we can only do this many. What are we going to do? One of the greatest lines, I had this wise ass that worked for me, and I thought it was a brilliant line. Uh, again, probably 20 years ago. But he said, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll save money on mailing to, uh, to West Virginia and Arkansas and a few places. And I said, why? He goes, well, it's transferable between family members. So, <laughs> In other words, someone would hand someone right. else. So he said it's the- transferable between family members. So he goes, we could just send one piece into West Virginia and one piece into Arkansas. <laughs> So oh, I was like, God. oh, my God. <laughs> I bet I know who so, said that. Well, you, yes, you do. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Is that the one-armed squirt? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I laughed and I laughed. But, uh, yeah. So. Behind a closed door, which is where a lot of this stuff happens, right? Yeah. Well, and it was all about the pricing and, and mm-hmm. uh, how much are we going to spend and what's it going to cost for each person and what the rates are going to be for who's going to open it and are they going to log on? You know, you know all the rules. I so. do indeed. Yeah, yeah, I do indeed. Yeah. So, so that was uh, that was our story from Fast Company this week. Good, good find there. All right, we want to thank you for joining us today on the Focus Group. Focusgroupradio.com is the URL for our site. Check it out. You could learn about uh, us there, all our media, including our Tuesday podcast, TFG Unbuttoned. And we want to thank our partner, Deep Discount, for being a partner of ours here on the Focus Group. Get to them by going to us, focusgroupradio.com. Click on the shark logo, Arr, Sharky the Shark, and begin your shopping extravaganza. As we like to say here, um, don't text and drive, please. <laughs> Arrive alive. I've, I can't. Every time I'm on the road, yep. I see it. This past weekend, we saw a car literally swerve. It was a middle lane, three-lane road there in the middle. They swerved way into the right, almost off to the median, and then quickly came back. I was in shock when I saw it. And what was in their hand? A phone. The guy was looking like they were literally looking. When they came back to being in the lane, they looked at you. Know, and I just said, Bob, you know, that could have been a major accident yeah, right I'm there. I'm glad right? you brought this up because I was shocked. Last night I was watching the football games. Um, or I'm sorry, no, what were they on? Sunday. Sunday night I was watching the football games. And uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and the 49ers and then Cincinnati and, uh, and Kansas City. And during the Cincinnati and Kansas City game, Richard and I were sitting there watching. And this commercial came on for a Denali, which is a, a General yeah. Motors General Motors product. And they were all doing like patty cake, clapping hands, and step, step, step. <laughs> it was about the self-driving, oh. hands-free driving Denali going, you know, 
80 miles an hour down the road carrying a trailer, you know, dragging a trailer. And I thought, boy, oh boy. I was shocked if, that if that was dumb an enough to play patty cake, patty cake, yeah. baker's man. But that truck like that, and I said, you're not paying attention at that point, right? I don't know. That, that one's kind of scared me, but I was su- surprised that an ad like that, because I thought with Tesla and all this, that that technology was there, kind of. Tim, you literally, you know our friend Tim told mm-hmm. you that we're years away. I've heard this now from a number of executives. They're like, guess what, folks? We are years away from self-driving cars because of all the complexities. So He took one from, I think it was Detroit to St. Louis. It was a Cadillac Oh, yes, I remember product. this. But he did say that um, it was unnerving because it did go, but there's a lot of things that uh, could go wrong. I mean, there's, you know, it reads the road, it reads sensors, mm-hmm. but if your sensors are dirty or it's inclement weather or something. and Ice, yeah, snow. Things get built up. Anyway, we'll see what happens. There'll be lots of Denali accidents. My guess, <laughs> allegedly. Because they're all playing patty cake, patty cake. Everybody's bakers. playing patty cake. But it, I, you know what? I'm going to try to find, I'll find the ad and post it to our Facebook page. Facebook which page. Is, uh, Focus okay. Group Radio. <laughs> Look at that's the ad and tip. tell us what you think. That's a classic that as an auto guy, you picked up on like, uh-oh, that car is, that's in trouble. Yeah. So. All right. So again, thanks for joining us, folks. Don't text and drive arrive alive. And we will see you in the new week. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.